welcome to Supernatural Podcast episode number 58 for the episode, Are You There, God? It's me, Dean Winchester. The episode was written by Sarah Gamble and directed by Phil Sigrikia. The episode originally aired in the U.S. on September 25, 2008. Let's move on to the synopsis with Kristen and Emily. Summary for Season 4, Episode 2, Are You There, God? It's me, Dean Winchester. The episode begins when a woman is sleeping on her couch with the TV on, and it suddenly starts to flicker. She wakes up. She can see her breath, it's so cold, and she jumps up and runs for her closet. Inside, she has a whole arsenal. She's obviously a hunter. Her phone rings, and the answering machine picks up. Bobby's voice says, Olivia, can you call me back? I've got something big. Suddenly, a man appears behind her. She whirls around and looks at him. You, she says, shocked. She shoots him, and he disappears. And she quickly puts a line of salt in the doorway. He appears right outside the salt, staring at her. I'm sorry, she says desperately, standing up. I'm so sorry. But when she turns around, a woman is behind her and rips into her abdomen. At Bobby's, having shared the information about Castiel, Dean continues to question the existence of angels and the very concept that there is a God who knew his name and cared enough to save him from hell. While Sam is enthusiastic about the angel being proof of his faith. Dean says, I'm trying to come up with a theory here, okay? Work with me. Dean, we have a theory, Sam argues. Yeah, one with a little less fairy dust on it, please. Dean replies, Bobby simply reports that his research indicated that the angels were the only entities supposedly able to free souls from hell. Dean says, I don't like getting singled out at birthday parties, much less by God. Sent to get pie while the research continues, Sam encounters Ruby, who asks if it's true that an angel rescued Dean from hell. When Sam says that it looks that way, Ruby says she has to leave. She says she's never met an angel and doesn't want to because they would simply smite her without caring that she was being helpful. She advises Sam to be cautious. Investigating Olivia's failure to respond to Bobby's messages, Bobby and the boys discover her brutally murdered, her heart literally ripped out of her chest. Bobby calls other hunters nearby, but gets no answer. Separating to investigate, the brothers and Bobby find all three of the other hunters dead in the same manner as Olivia. Stopping for gas along the way back to Bobby's, Sam feels a telltale chill in the men's room and turns to confront the ghost of Agent Hendrickson, who blames the brothers for his death and attacks Sam. Dean arrives just in time to disperse the ghost with a rock salt shot. Meanwhile, having gotten home first... Bobby finds himself facing the accusing ghosts of two children he'd failed to save. Unable to reach Bobby by phone, the brothers hurry back and begin searching for him, with Dean taking the house and Sam the junkyard. Dean is confronted by the ghost of Meg Masters. She says, Nice to finally talk to you when I'm not, you know, choking on my own blood. She yells at him for attacking the demon within her without regard for the human host. You just attacked. Did you ever think there was a girl in here? No, you just charged in, slashing and burning. You think you're some kind of hero? Dean looks at her. No, I don't. She proceeds to beat him physically as well, until he dissipates her by shooting the chain to drop an iron chandelier through her. 
Meanwhile, Sam finds Bobby being held by the two little girl ghosts, who were tormenting him to feel the same fear they had felt before they died. Sam and Bobby disperse the ghosts. While they compare notes back in the house, the lights begin to flicker again, and Bobby leads them down to his panic room, a ghost-proof, demon-trapped, ventilated, fully iron and salt-lined room, in order to research in safety and prepare more salt-based ammunition. From a mark that Dean reported seeing on Meg's hand and that Sam had similarly spotted on Hendrickson, Bobby identifies them as witnesses, ghosts raised in terrible pain by a powerful spell to be vengeance machines, and observes that the rising of the witnesses is a sign of the apocalypse from an expanded version of the Book of Revelations. He finds a spell that he thinks could lay the ghosts back to rest, but it would have to be cast over an open fire, using components from elsewhere in the house. Gathering implements and leaving the safety of the panic room, they encounter the ghost of Ronald Resnick, the hapless mandroid hunter from Night Shifter. Bobby disperses him when Dean hesitates. In the library, Sam spreads salt for protection while Dean lights a fire in the fireplace. Bobby begins drawing the sigils for the spell. Safe within salt, Bobby sends Sam upstairs to retrieve a curse box and Dean to the kitchen for spell ingredients, including opium. <laughs> Unable to reach him because of the salt, the little girl ghosts nonetheless try to distract him, but he continues working. Upstairs, Sam confronts Meg, who scolds him for working with Ruby rather than sending her back to hell when he knows that Ruby is possessing innocent hosts as Meg had been possessed. She calls him a monster, and he shoots her. In the kitchen, Dean faces Hendrickson. Hendrickson says Lilith had taken her time torturing the innocent people in the jail before she killed them. He asks Dean why he deserves to escape hell. He knocks Dean's shotgun out of reach and plunges his hand into Dean's chest, gripping his heart. Only Sam's timely arrival with a salt shot saves Dean's life. Back in the library, with Sam and Dean armed and ready, Bobby begins the spell. A mighty wind blows open the windows and scatters the protective salt barrier. While Bobby chants, the brothers fire their salt guns as fast as ghosts appear in order to keep the ghosts at bay until they run out of ammunition. Sam is pinned against the wall by a desk and shouts to Dean to keep covering Bobby. Meg finds an opening and thrusts her arm into Bobby from behind. He drops the bowl of spell contents, but Dean catches it, and following Bobby's gasped directions, throws the contents in the fire. All the ghosts disperse. Asleep on the floor of the library, Dean has a dream encounter with Castiel in Bobby's kitchen. Confronted by Dean's anger over God's failure to help the people on Earth, being plagued by demons and evil, Castiel tells him that there is a bigger picture, of which this fight was just a part. Well, thanks a lot for the angelic assistance, Dean says sarcastically. You know, I almost got my heart ripped out of my chest. But you didn't, Castiel says calmly. I thought angels were supposed to be guardians, Dean says. Fluffy wings, halos, you know. Read the Bible, Castiel says calmly. Angels are warrior of God. I'm a soldier. 
He tells Dean that Lilith had cast the spell that caused the witnesses to rise, and in doing so had broken one of the 66 seals that held Lucifer confined. If she succeeded in breaking them all, Lucifer would walk free, and it was to stop Lucifer that angels were walking the earth for the first time in 2,000 years. The angels and the human hunters had lost this round, with 20 more hunters and 6 angels killed. And although the witnesses had been laid to rest, the seal had still been broken. Castiel warns Dean to treat him with respect. He leans close to Dean, and Dean begins to look uncomfortable, pulling back. You should show me some respect. I dragged you out of hell, and I can throw you back in. And then suddenly he's gone. Waking from the dream, Dean asks Sam if he believes in the devil, as well as in angels and God. I'm Kristen. I'm Emily. Thanks for listening. Yeah! Great job with the recap. This was Emily's first appearance on Supernatural Podcast. Let's move on to analysis and theories of my discussion with Josh. Hi, I'm Ellen. And I'm Josh. So, what did you think of the episode? Well, I thought that um, the episode had some very cool developments, and there was some genuine creepiness, which I always enjoy. So, I mean, overall, it was an enjoyable episode, but I feel like we're still dealing with setup for the rest of the season. I agree. I thought it kind of kept the same following, though, from the premiere. It stayed at the same level, rather than what we see sometimes where we have a great premiere and then, boom, the next episode, you're like, oh. Right, it kind of stalls out for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. At least this one, there wasn't like a huge revelation and then a standalone. So that was good. That's true. I'm hoping that we'll ease into a more steady rhythm, but I think you're right. I think we need to get get it all set up first instead of hitting straight to the standalones. Yeah, especially since we had such a short season last year. There's a lot of ground they have to cover before we can have just a standalone, I think. And (laughs) I immediately noticed the reference to the title. The title of the episode is Are You There, God? It's Me, Dean Winchester. Which is now my new favorite episode title ever. (laughs) I was going to give an award for longest episode title ever. (laughs) That works too. But if you grew up in the 70s or 80s, you definitely know Judy Bloom, And it's a reference to the book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. The book, if you haven't read it, it's fantastic. It talks about a young girl's exploration of her spirituality. She deals with adolescence, you know, getting her period, stuff like that. And her search for identity. And a lot of parents banned the book. So it's kind of a hot button topic. Even now, when people think of Judy Bloom, they think of somebody who's kind of controversial, even though she's really not and she writes great stuff. But this title from this episode I thought was so strange that they used a Judy Bloom novel reference <laughs> of all things. <laughs> that is hilarious that Dean's getting compared to a girl going through puberty. Yeah. <laughs> A book I read in, like, 1982. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Best episode title ever. Definitely. Especially after how Dean is always like, oh, no, I don't do anything with fairy tales. It's all, like, wussy yeah. stuff. None of that chick flick stuff. Yep. <laughs> it's priceless. I mean, it works well, but just very funny. <laughs> the other thing I liked about this episode, because you know, overall, was that we really got a sense of how rooted Bobby lives. There was a big, big portion of the episode was actually around Bobby. It's true. 
find out how he lives and finds out how he knows like everybody. Yeah. Yeah, he is the connection. <laughs> right. And we kind of always knew that, but usually I mean, I, this does kind of go into what I liked, but it's also just kind of what stood out from this episode to me when I started thinking back. Yeah, a lot of Bobby history without being Bobby history. Exactly. Showing, not telling, definitely. So should we move on to the things we liked? Sure. Well, obviously the episode title. Yes. And along with that, I thought the previously on or then segment was really, really well done. Yeah, I noticed that too. (laughs) Great music (laughs) and great scenes. It was just very exciting. Yes, without giving too much away. Just enough, I thought, for the people who are new viewers to be able to follow along. Right. And of course, when I saw it, I said, is Meg back? (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) I think we all hoped Meg was back. A prettier Meg. Right. And she was back. She was probably, besides the Bobby bit, my other favorite part in the episode. I mean, I like that they brought back the characters that most affected Sam and Dean. You know, it was a great plot setup, but especially Meg. I mean, Agent Hendrickson and the guy from the bank robbery. I I can't remember his name. Wow, I feel really stupid. Great episode, but I I have no clue. It's the guy from Lost. Ah, uh, yeah, the heat's affecting my brain here. But with Meg, I loved how she talked about her sister and her story. Like, oh, we yeah. never knew who Meg was. We never knew anything about her except that she was from, I think, Massachusetts. And she was a girl who got trapped. I mean, that was really it. We didn't really know anything else about her. But here she was talking about her sister, her little sister who worships her. And she said, you know, you know how great little siblings are, right? How they'll do anything for you. She was never the same after I disappeared. She just got lost. And that line jumped out at me because that's what Dean is most afraid of for Sam, I think. Oh, yeah. I didn't even make that comparison. That's a good point. It's definitely a parallel that was probably intentional. Oh, it had to have been. Yeah, I agree. I think that that was very affecting to hear her story and mm-hmm. to get a different spin on the other side of demon possession, we see Sam and Dean, you know, killing all of these demons and along with the person inside of them. But it's such a, a horrible thing because not only are, is the person dead, but they've gone through all this stuff before they were killed. Yeah, and you, we don't get to know that very often. No, no, they, they kind of touched on it when they first started dealing with demons in the show. But then it just got into, you know, kind of like a demon slaughter fest. (laughs) (laughs) And weren't really worried about the people getting possessed, but this brings that back to the surface. Very true. And I think the writing on this episode, you know, I, I don't know if it's because I do the podcast or because I'm just really interested in writers and directors and that kind of thing. But this episode was written by Sarah Gamble. Ah, which explains everything. All of her episodes are family-based, very... They're the ones that bring in more sensitive information. She deals with, you know, how can a guy be emotional? She does that really well. And so when I saw her name on the credits, I went, oh, it's a Sarah episode, and then I promptly forgot. And then as soon as the episode was done, I was like, oh, that makes sense. It was a Sarah episode. (laughs) It's true. She deals with the tough moral questions a lot of times, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's definitely one that brought up with 
with the return of Meg. And, and it touches on what we kind of mentioned last week about Ruby. She brings that up again and, and what's really going on with her and how can she be a good person if she's using this girl and how can Sam allow that? It's interesting that these characters are so in tune with what's going on. I mean, it almost makes you think that they were demons instead of just spirits or ghosts or something or other. I mean, they really knew stuff. That's true. They definitely had a knowledge beyond their own personal experience. For her to throw that in Sam's face about Ruby, you kind of touched on at the beginning, Bobby's little fortress of solitude. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I love that Bobby has a panic room. <laughs> it makes sense, giving his line of business. Yeah, and I think, you know, that was part of my overall like for the episode. It was because the Winchesters never had a home base. All they do is travel. They go from hotel to hotel. And this is what a hunter looks like if they live in one place. And they have to protect themselves. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah, definitely. Sam and Dean being on the road is kind of like their protection. They're not, they're nomads. Mm-hmm. But Bobby, if he's going to be in one spot, he's got to be prepared. Yeah. I mean, if a demon blows up their hotel, okay, well, well, let's move on to the next one. (laughs) Exactly. Wow. It's just, I'm totally blanking this episode. (laughs) This is terrible. Is it bad that the episode is so not memorable a week later? (laughs) Even though I liked it a lot at the beginning? (laughs) I think it just goes to show how it fits into a bigger picture. Yeah, I think so. I'm, you know, of course, I'm still withholding judgment on how things are going to go with this giant arc. But yeah. I did like how Cassiel did get testy with Dean at the end. Because, for reals, if Dean's disbelief goes on too much longer, it's going to get on my nerves, too. Well, I feel just like Dean. I'm very resistant. And I think I might be the one person in the fandom who hasn't accepted Castiel as a long-lost son. I mean, he's like the missing character they've always wanted. The fandom is raving over him. And people are actually posting on like LiveJournal, well, who doesn't like Castiel? Everybody loves him. And I'm like, me. I honestly haven't, I haven't decided one way or the other yet. I think it's too early to tell for me. Everybody loves him. I'm like, what? I, I just don't get it. I Give me more Ruby. I'll even take the bad new actress. Give me something. <laughs> I think my resistance was, I mean, it's not that I like Cassiel particularly. I don't dislike him. I'm still waiting. But yeah. <laughs> like, you know, Dean's like going on and on about how, how can this be possible? How, I mean, it just seems like that kind of skepticism was kind of out of place considering everything they've seen and gone through. Yeah, there is a little bit of that. I mean, that's come up in other episodes, and we made the same comment. Right. Like, why would, if they believe in all this other stuff, not believe in this? Exactly. But I think when it comes to your faith, and you're so stuck, and you're so questioning, and you don't really, you can't make sense of it to yourself, that's a huge thing. And so for Dean just to come full circle and say, okay, I believe, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not like him either. It's going to take more than that. That's, I, I can see that. It is going to get a little annoying if they focus on that and not right. let him work through it off screen. But. Right. I think that kind of leads into one of my not likes. Was uh, the, the scene at the end definitely helped shape the arc of the season. I mean, it's a huge revelation, especially if it's true, about what's going on with the battle 
between heaven and earth and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> but before that, the climax part of the action, it seemed a little repetitive. I mean, just shooting the ghosts over and over again and then popping up, hey, and then getting shot. <laughs> it's like like video game where you hit the beaver or whatever it is. And exactly. It just keeps popping back up. <laughs> exactly. And I think they did such a good job working up the tension until that point, And then... It's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, it really did seem like the end of a Charmed. <laughs> right. You know, where they end up, they pull out the, you know, the power of three and, and do the vanquish. After all this other stuff has failed and you have this lead up and then right. yeah, it, it did feel like Charmed. Which I still love. I, I, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they pulled the same thing, the same type of tv cliche where they can get hurt really bad but then as soon as the ghost gets goes away they're miraculously okay yeah yeah i noticed that too but you know if a ghost is reaching into you to eviscerate you you're probably not going to be that okay yeah unless it's all like a like it didn't really happen like you see that in horror movies sometimes where a ghost will have you kind of imagine it's happening but they really can't hurt you like they can go through you but they can't hurt you which I thought about, but the fact that they found the other corpses like so totally ripped apart of the other hunters. Yeah, it didn't really stay to character, did it? <laughs> <laughs> so that, was, that was just a little thing. Uh, well, maybe some of the ghosts can do it and some can't. You know how ghosts can't interact with the living, but poltergeists can? <laughs> right. Maybe some of the, the visitors were actually destructive and some weren't. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we can go with that. <laughs> I'm stretching here, but what can I say? The other thing that I didn't like, and this wasn't from a story point of view or anything that, that that was bad about the episode, but it was sad to find out that the poor virgin girl and the others were tortured before they died. That was sad, Zeez. It was. <laughs> I mean, because all we saw was the flash of light, and that's it. Right. And so, and that's you know what Dan, or Dan and Seam. Wow, I did it again. <laughs> What? about laundry? What? <laughs> That's what uh, uh, Dean and Sam kind of perceived what we perceived. So, Right. That's really sad. I, you know, again, I wonder if some of the stuff wasn't kind of made up. You know, if, if they aren't a little part demon or they, because maybe they were, because they were raised by a demon. That they were saying all those things. Maybe there was a little evil rubbed off there. Maybe. They were saying some pretty hurtful things. It could be really depressing, you know, if that's your job, saving lives. I guess it kind of, it could serve also to maybe make them not so detached from the people they are saving. That is true. I mean, they want to save, they want to do good, but at the same time, they know I can't win everything. Right. And they have to make a lot of hard choices, and it's not always easy. (laughs) Right. Like they didn't know when they pushed Meg off the, the roof that she was a human in there. Right. We didn't know. They, he didn't know at the time. I mean, that was something they learned later. That not until Bobby said, you know, there's a girl in there when they were exercising her at the end of the season. That's right. So I think that kind of changed their perception <laughs> about all these demons. They're like, oh, crap. Yeah. yeah, and it used to be Sam was always the one saying, hey, we need to think about consequences of people who are hurting and all that. I wonder if that's going to continue. Sam with his uh, look of death? Yeah. <laughs> if he's going to be <laughs> such a moral compass that he used to be. Maybe it depends on the, the way Ruby is shaping him. 
we still don't quite know her agenda. No, and if the angel's going to be around for a long time, does that mean she's, like, out <laughs> for the rest of the season? See ya! Well, I did hear something about her fate uh, for the season. I don't know. I mean, not, like, a permanent fate, but her role this season. Stupid spoilers without a spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't want to spoil anything, but I right. think uh, she's not going to be around the whole season. Uh. So I don't know if she goes away, like, she's in a few at the beginning and then not at the end, or she's in some in the middle, or at the end, you know, I don't know exactly how they're spacing her out, but I know she's not going to be in the vast majority of them. Uh. Very interesting. Yeah, I stopped reading at that point, so... I don't really know what's going to happen to her, and I don't want to know. That's right. <laughs> but I think I think they already put that point in front of us, so it wasn't really a stretch to think she wouldn't be around if there's going to be an angel around all the time. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, that part wasn't a big spoiler, except that they gave me the number of episodes <laughs> that she signed on for. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a difference. <sighs> yeah, a little bit. So, anything else you didn't like? I think that's about it. In our whirlwind episode here. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we move on to questions and speculation? Sure. So what about this war? Is it Armageddon? I mean, are we really going to go all biblical? I don't know. It seems like, you know, it's not... The the beginning of last season started with the supposed war, right? Yes. But this one is even on a bigger scale. So I just can't even imagine how they're going to play that out on the TV show with the budget they have. Well, obviously they're not. It's mean, <laughs> just going to be the way it works. Right. I think maybe you'll have representatives of different respective sides or small groups, just like what we saw last season. Right. And the season before that, where they do like individual little bits. But, I mean, is Lilith now the demon leader? Like, this army that was released from the Devil's Gate... Are they going to fall at her feet? Is she just going to send out like her top people or her representatives? Right. I mean, obviously you're not going to have you know Lord of the Rings style battle. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> right. But is it really angels versus demons? I mean, how do humans play in there? Yes, and specifically, how does Sam play into that? I mean, because angels are probably, sounds like they're having a hard time dealing with Lilith, but he has some kind of power over her that she's afraid of that they, you know, referenced to all of last season. Yeah, because she might be the only one who can stop, or Sam can be the only one to stop Lilith. Yeah, it just, it seems very grand and cosmic considering the roles that De- Dean and Sam, I almost did it just then. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, we're going to play. It's just getting bigger and grander as we go along. You know, and I wonder if the same thing that we saw with the special children storyline, if it doesn't just like fizzle out like that. Well, I I have to admit, I thought of that. Is it going to be one of those situations where, oh, the angels and, and demon war kind of tapers off and we just go back into more standalone episodes? Or is it really going to finish out? It's a big well, battle. <laughs> I mean, and we do have a five-season arc here. So is it really going to finish this season, the end of the fourth season? What are they going to do during the fifth? If you have, like, the biggest battle for 2,000 years, I mean, how do you finish a season? Like, oh, hey, let's go meet some girls and get married. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, how do you top a battle between heaven and hell? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, like all you know. But when they started bringing up Revelation, I was like, oh, they okay. Those press kits with the Bibles in there with the bookmark at Revelation, I, the chapter and verse. I don't know whatever this one that they referenced in the last episode. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, they really are going to go that route. (laughs) I'm still bristling about the angels bit. (laughs) I don't think I'm ready for Armageddon. (laughs) Well, that that kind of leads into my only other question is, you know, is Sam's whole demon thing going to be dealt with? Because Ruby makes that pointed comment today about how he should be afraid of angels as well. Well, we still don't know what the deal is with Mary and the (laughs) yellow-eyed demon. Feeding him his blood. We are totally beating a dead horse, I know, but they keep... I know! (laughs) But if Sam is part demon, which we kind of expect him to be after season two finale, right? then uh, of course he's going to be scared, but he also has faith, so... He's kind of this half and half guy. Like, <laughs> right. is Ruby just saying that so that he won't join sides with the angels, or is he really going to have a hard time being accepted by either side? Oh, I don't know. And here we could go back to Charmed, Uh-oh. where several seasons were devoted to Cole, who was my favorite character on the show, and he was the half demon, half human. They did focus a lot on that, so it makes you wonder. If uh, Supernatural isn't going to kind of go the same way. Sam, Sam, Sam. It's all about Sam. <laughs> know about you. Yeah, that's right. Have any good quotes? Uh, I actually, there were a lot of good quotes in this episode. One we already talked about. Sam said, you have a panic room? And he's <laughs> like, yeah, I had a weekend off. And Dean's like, Bobby, you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Just, he does it with that tone, like, Bobby... Like he's going to say, you're ridiculous. I like it when Dean's ranting and he says, don't you think if angels were real, some hunter at somewhere would have seen one at some point ever? And Sam's like, yeah, you just did, Dean, with kind of like a smirk. Yeah. <laughs> and Dean's like, oh. And probably my other favorite, I like, okay, I don't like that Castile is an angel. I do like the actor. I like, you know, his portrayal. But anyway, okay. But his interaction with Dean is really interesting. So I like where Castile was like, the rising of the witnesses is one of the 66 seals. And Dean's like, I'm guessing that's not a show at SeaWorld. <laughs> the 66 seals. He did talk about going to the Grand Canyon and to Las Vegas. and Don't they do enough <laughs> traveling? I mean, they should just stop along the way sometime and go see the Niagara Falls. Like, just get it over with, you know. Eh, just take a side trip. Yeah, you could be like Jessica Fletcher. She always took those trips, and then bad stuff just ended up happening while she was there. I'm sure that would work for them, too. I can't believe you just referenced Jessica <laughs> Fletcher. <laughs> she Showing my age. What? Oh, boy. I thought the same crowd who watches Jeopardy, you know, the kind who are retired, joining AARP, were the only ones who liked Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> Listen. My mother watched that as a child. Well, no, when I was a child, not when she was a child. <laughs> it was quality programming. Of course, I'm really not one to talk. I used to watch the Waltons. <laughs> when I was a little child. Right. <laughs> Ooh, we're dating ourselves. Of course, I already said I read Judy Bloom in 1982. So. <laughs> I, did re- I did not read that book. I did read Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Oh, and Super Fudge. 
Very yep. good Judy Bloom book. She had a lot of great books for girls. Like adolescent girls, that was really her niche. What would Dean do without her? Okay, so as far as legends and references, there really wasn't all that much to discuss in this episode. The one legend we had was the rising of the witnesses. It's where Bobby discovers that the symbol on Meg's hand is called the mark of the witness. The people died unnatural deaths and were then forced to rise as ghosts by some shady character, which is apparently a very agonizing experience and it leaves a mark. The Book of Revelation says that the rising of the witnesses is a sign of the apocalypse. And the, I just wanted to share this little bit of a reference with you. Misha Collins, who plays Castiel, reports that Kripke wanted to base the look of the character on the comic book character Constantine. John Constantine is an occult detective who features in the Hellblazer comic book series and the film Constantine. So we had one song in this episode. It's Lonely as the Night by Billy Squire. And the song of the night tonight is Weighty Ghost by Wintersleep. You can check out the website at wintersleep.com. The song is brought to you tonight by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Enjoy.
that's it for this week. The next all-new episode airs this Thursday on The CW. Thanks for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to The Supernatural Podcast. You can visit my website at supernaturalpodcast.blogspot.com or send me an email at supernaturalpodcast at gmail.com. Please note that the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and not of the producers of Supernatural or The CW. Audio clips played on this podcast are property of the CW and no infringement is intended. Some of the music heard here is from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. 